the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time, whether you like it or not, and we talk about things that happened during the New Generation years of the World Wrestling Federation around 1993 to 1997. Uh, This week, as we say, no different, but welcoming in a very special guest, a great, good, close, personal friend, if you will. Uh, If not for a Walmart meeting, would we have been sitting here today (laughs) as I welcome in the Kabuki babyface himself? The one and only Randy Helms of Ouch, You're On My Hair. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for my uh, blue vest. You know, I want to I wanna get my cut, my Walmart cut, and be part of that uh, motorcycle club they got at Walmart. So, but <laughs> hey, Chad, man, it's cool to get to come on here with, you know. Uh, it's been a minute since you and I have talked. Um, and so, yeah, this is cool, man. Yeah, I was thrilled. Uh, so a little context, a little backstory. Uh, Randy is one of the, uh, the good people that you meet in the podcasting world and in your travels, uh, meeting him about six years ago, maybe five, six years ago by chance, uh, just seeing him sit there <laughs> and then two seconds later, finding out we lived in the same town. But the catch is we were both in New Jersey at a wrestling convention and who would have thought we, uh, we lived literally in the same town. We got to hang out a little bit and we've done a bunch of shows together. We've, uh, had the same, what I love about doing podcasting. I always say this when I talk about shows that I've done with John over the years, these are conversations we've had in the car that we're now bringing to the airwaves. So with that, I'm really thrilled to have you on today, buddy. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be here, man. I really am. But because you're out, you're on my hair, you're great, uh, you know, metal bass, you know, 80s <laughs> rock, uh, really not 80s, you're you're all over the place. We'll talk all over about the that. place now. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. It was more very 80s when we first uh, heard of the mm-hmm. concept, but um, I had to get your opinion on something that came out during the new generation years in the early stages, and it's w- something I personally love. I mean, I, I got a bunch of stories about uh, WrestleMania, the album. But you being the music aficionado uh, that you are, was this your first listen to this CD or this uh, YouTube uh, link that I sent you? No, it actually wasn't because this thing came out in 93. And in 93, I was in Korea. Um, I had uh, I was doing my army thing uh, and that was my first duty assignment. And I remember somebody having this in the barracks and being that I was such a uh, mark for wrestling, they were like, you know, dude, you got to hear this album. And, and, you know, I was like, yeah, sure. You know? And of course I recognize certain things off of it from, you know, hearing what would be played on superstars or whatever, you know? So yeah, no, when you sent it though, I hadn't listened to it in, 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 in years. And so I got to go back and kind of listen to it track by track and make a little bit of critiques here and there. And, uh, you know, so good and bad. So uh, I can't wait to hear. I can't wait to hear. Now, look, we'll talk about the podcast quickly here to give some more context. Um, you know, Randy is a wealth of information on a lot of stuff. I mean, he just like myself, we both work for WWE. That's another reason how we kind of, uh, you know, hit it off quickly. We had some uh, war stories, knew some of the same people. But in in addition to knowing a lot of old school wrestling and, you know, where you grew up and watching all the the, the great legends, you are an encyclopedia of music, history, knowledge. And we would always talk about music, too. So uh, talk about the podcast and again, how it has evolved. Originally, it was just 80s outro on my hair or something that you and your your buddy Troy have been saying to each other for years. But you guys turned it into a podcast and now it's blown up. Yeah. So let me just, you know, and I'll try to make this quick. Um, So. The whole concept of this thing, Out Here on My Hair, the podcast, and now it's podcast and radio show, um, it all started uh, with Troy and I 
linking up in Amarillo, Texas. I was out there on a work assignment for a couple months, and I had hooked up with a little independent wrestling organization out there. At the time, they were tied in with uh, NWA, and they were top of Texas wrestling. And I had worked myself into a little bit of a, a character out there. And so I had this great idea of you know, talking with Troy, having him come over to be part of one of my little shticks one night. And we were like, you know, there's not any music anymore that that hits us like it did back in the 80s with all the heavy metal and 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 some people call it hair metal or whatever. But that glam style, I said, dude, we ought to start like a, uh, a YouTube thing, man, and and review old albums and stuff like that and talk about it. Man, that'd be great. I said, well, you know what? I'm doing this thing with Vince Russo. I said, I'm on the Andre Corbell show. I said, I guarantee if I talk to Vince, Vince will be more than happy, bruh. To uh, let me uh, to let me you know do something. So I, I asked Vin, Vince and uh, and Jeff, and they were like, "Yeah, man, if you want to do like a ten minute thing each week, we'll put it on the Realm Network." And so I started it off with just myself on YouTube, and I don't really have the face for YouTube, and and it just went after about seven episodes nowhere. <laughs> and so I didn't even bring Troy on, but I told Troy, I said, "You know what? Let's give it about a year." Let me get everything. Let me do some research on how to do podcasts. Let's start a podcast. And so we started that podcast in 2017. And I'll tell you, if you go back and you listen to the first show, I mean, we were just, I mean, I'm in the left ear. He's in the right. Cause I didn't I know about stereotyping. <laughs> <I remember. laughs> it was terrible, but it has, it has really grown. And uh, we've got a nice little following now, which is cool. Uh, really, really cool. And uh, we've had the opportunity to just interview so many different people in the music business and especially the genres of music that we love. And we've branched out. We go beyond the eighties metal. Now we've gone back and listened to some of the, got some of the guys that have done the classic rock stuff. Some of the, newer guys we have the radio show that comes out on thursday and it's uh it's 11 bands each week and they're bands that you may not be aware of they're like up and coming and we interview somebody from one of those bands and play two songs by that band and it's been great man i mean that's just i love it and uh it's uh going strong keeps me busy but you know it's for fun and that's i i do it for fun i don't do it for money and so that's what makes it all good yeah, and I, I kind of equate it to exactly when John and I started doing the interviews, you know, in 2015, in, in a similar vein, because, you know, with us having the, the wrestling knowledge that we had and being able to easily transition to doing the interviews, for you and the music, I mean, doesn't matter who you throw at you, you do your research, you know, you know a lot of stuff a, a lot of times, so it's, it's a very natural flow for you, so to see how you guys have evolved is cool, because I'm the one who referred you to your original uh, <laughs> podcasting destination. Yes, you did. So, you yes, know, she I mean, did. it goes yes, in a long line of success that I've created as well. Yes, you did. And I'm still on there. And I'll tell you, it's funny. I, uh, I've i said this a couple of times when we've had people on and, and I'll surprise somebody with something I'll say just out of the blue. And they're like, how do you how do you know that? And I'm like, I was a nerd that read liner notes of albums in the 80s. I said, that's all I did. When I bought a CD or a tape, I just kept reading the liner notes. And so the name started becoming familiar to, oh, that guy produced this album, this album. That guy played background keyboards on that song and this song. And so, yeah, so it's paying off. You know, that's Cliff Claiborne type of stuff from Cheers. So I, I call that the aha moment. When you can stump the person and they have to ask you, like, where did you know that from? That's yeah. the aha. Like, yep, that's where I'm supposed to be in this chair right now. <laughs> Very cool. Well, all right. Well, we'll talk a little WrestleMania, the album. So, uh, you know, the WWF is no stranger to music. The wrestling album coming out in 1985, which is the uh, the love child of the rock and wrestling connection. Uh, Cindy Lauper and Dave Wolf, you know, heavy influence, getting artists to participate. Rick Derringer, Real American, like it's stuff that we don't need to cover today because we only cover the mid 90s. Uh, Randy, we don't go back and look at the past or the future. Um, and also Piledriver, the wrestling album in 1987. But between 1987 and 1993, they go quiet. Mm -hmm. There's no CDs. There's no cassettes. There's no albums. There's no uh, vinyl. There's nothing. And this kind of falls perfectly into the dead period for this company where they didn't have a major toy line for a little while. You know, there wasn't a lot of merchandise. And this kind of follows suit. But a, uh, a, a very smart, savvy uh, record executive in the U.K., uh, who we may come to know as an American Idol host in the early 2000s, Simon Cowell, was behind the product that would become WrestleMania, the album. And in the UK, this album actually charted. Yeah. But if it wasn't for the the 
brilliance of a Simon Cowell to bring together a brand that looked the Wiggles, the Teletubbies, you know, the Care Bears, anybody who had a CD at that point is basically in the same class as the WWF because of Simon Cowell. Yep. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, and it's funny because, uh, with this album, when it came out, I mean, two of the main writers for the songs um, were Mike Stock and uh, Peter Waterman. And, and those guys are big in the UK for for different things. I believe one of the big songs, and I, and I, I may be off on this, but I think they had ties into uh, uh, You Spin Me Round, Round, Record, Round, Round. Ooh, I, think, okay. yeah, I think they're tied into that um, off the top of my head. Now, somebody will fact check me, I'm sure, uh, which is fine. But yeah, you're right with Simon Cowell. And it's funny because when this album, you know, came out um, and it's called WrestleMania, the album, I mean, it's just uh, it's just chock full of stuff that's not just WrestleMania, which was very interesting to me. And I didn't catch it the first time that I heard it. But going back and listening to it again, I'm like, oh, there's mentions to uh, Survivor Series. There's mentions to other things on it. So, you know, leave it to Vince to say. You know, I'm bringing all of my product in, but I'm putting it all under the term WrestleMania because that's my granddaddy of all shows. So, yeah, great branding. You you can't deny that. Obviously, Vince is the, uh, you know, the, the master of disaster when it comes to branding. <laughs> but, yeah, they work in the slam jam, they call it. Then the Survivor Series is mentioned. But, you know, due to the release and when they probably put this together versus when it was released, some guys didn't make the music videos. They had to be edited out because they weren't with the company anymore. Uh, the British Bulldog uh, mm -hmm. comes to mind. Um, there's somebody else that's just not coming to my uh, my head as we speak. Oh, I, nah, I don't mean Gene was there at the time, but there's a few guys that had to be edited out of the video portion, but the album, it's 12 tracks. Um, each one has a very 90s uh, sound to it. It's got that, you know, symphonic, uh, very keyboardy, very electronic mm -hmm. sound that was getting popular. Um, but like you're saying, so the guys that are writing these songs, you know, they obviously have a knack and an ear for what, who's, who's buying this? Is it kids? Is it wrestling fans? Who do you think they're trying to target? I think they were trying to target kids. And, and I'll tell you, when you listen to the sounds that are coming off of this in 93, it's very, and you can tell this is being done by, you know, folks, um, who had great big ties to br the British, uh, market over there and like you said earlier you know it reached i think number 10 yeah. on uh the uk charts and and even one of the songs reached i think number four um so the thing about it though is i think they were smart enough to say who's gonna buy this album kids are gonna want this album you know because in 93 it's still rest you know wwf uh you know, which would become WWE, as we are very familiar with, that still hadn't hit that other phase that's coming two years later. So it's still a market for kids, and it's still, let's get the kids to buy this album, get their parents to say, what do you want for, you know, your birthday, Johnny? I want the WWF WrestleMania, the album, you know? <laughs> so, you know, but at the same time, the music, like you said, it had that 90s pop sound. So it's almost... You know, I was at the time, like I said, I was in Korea. I, I would not be surprised if you had walked into a European club and heard this playing late at night, a, a track or two where, you know, nobody really knows what it is, but it's got that beat going, you know, who knows, you know. I couldn't even begin to speculate which track they would have picked for that <laughs> in a nightclub in Korea. I can't even begin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't even begin to speculate. I would possibly assume, you know, maybe the Slam Jam. The Slam Jam's got the best little uh, beat there to it. But oh my god, yeah, imagine that the USA being uh, 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 just completely scorching the uh, the air of the uh, the Korean dance clubs. <laughs> yeah. Well, Slam Jam was the big, you know, was the big song. That was the one I think that hit number four and. In, in the UK, and I don't think it charted in America. I don't. I don't no, think. I, I don't think so. So, um, but I just loved how they uh, throughout the several of the songs. You know, they're hyping so much different stuff. You know, and if you break it down and take the music away, it's just basically promos. You know, it's catchphrases from different promos. But leave it to Vince to say, hey, you know, <laughs> put this in there, put that in there. And this is going to resonate with the kids because they're going to recognize as soon as they hear the voice. You know, of course, certain, you know, ones, ooh, yeah, you know, that's the macho. I mean, you yeah. know, right away. But some of the other ones, if you don't hear their catchphrase, you might not know who it was. 
you know? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, looking back and, and listening to them myself, trying to, uh, you know, trying to grasp some of the thoughts I had back then. I mean, I was one, you want to talk about little Johnny, I mean, little chatty back in the day, <laughs> I was dying for this cassette and I ended up getting the cassette um, because I just was shocked. There was other wrestling merchandise out there. And I, I just, I wish I remember, I probably saw it on superstars or maybe WWF mania. There was a big push for it on, on the, especially the mania shows. Uh, but it was really hard to find. This was not something you walked into. Nobody beats the whiz or coconuts and just saw sitting <laughs> on the rack. Like you either to ask for it or they had to go to, you got to go to a place, a uh, place to special order it. This was not an easy album to find. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it's just, well, like you said, what, what amazes me though, is they had gone so many years without making music. And I'm really shocked that uh, Jim Johnson wasn't, any part of this whatsoever right. yeah that really really shocks me and surprises me because I mean, he had his finger on so much of wwf and wwf's music i meant such you know and even and and was i don't know you probably know better than i was jimmy hart around at that time or had he already left the organization so technically he's there up until the towards the tail end of the summer of 93 when Hogan was officially gone. Uh, and that's when we never see Jimmy Hart after June uh, on WWF television. So he was technically there, but Jimmy Hart and JJ McGuire, who he actually pops up a lot on, uh, on Facebook. Now uh, they wrote a lot of music up mm -hmm. till about this time. And you saw more of the Jim Johnson projects being you know used as you know i guess solo uh endeavors rather than it being jim johnson jj mcguire jimmy hart it really ended up be just being jim johnson after this album okay. and if you've heard one jim johnson theme song you know it i mean yeah. this, oh, yeah. this, era, this would be the one where i think his really really are the ones that you know the people that love this guy i mean if you ever watch online there are people who like worship <laughs> jim johnson with, with all due respect he's amazing but you know, it was after this album, and it's surprising that he was not included at all, not even credited um, on this one. You know, I had the opportunity, obviously, to uh, to get to know him a little bit. I mean, I, I'll admit I didn't know him very well because he worked over at the studio and I was yeah. up at the headquarters. But he did come over a couple times for some meetings with uh, my former boss and the game. Anyways, uh, and so he was, uh, I mean, he he was a little bit of a different guy. And I tried to strike up a conversation with him one time to talk about music and to talk about guitars, and it didn't. It really didn't go well. I mean, I won't say it didn't go well. It just didn't go very long. And I think a lot of it had to do with he was focused on what he was there for and he wasn't right. trying to get sidetracked. But I would have loved to have sat down and really picked his brain a lot. I mean, so. So are you trying to say, and this is unfathomable, somebody who's in Titan Tower for a meeting wants to get the hell out of there as fast <laughs> as possible? I can't even imagine that. Yeah, nobody got to stay till 9, 10 o'clock at night except for moi. Yeah. And so, you know. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Before we wrap up, we'll talk about that because I, I want to get some of your uh, your story out there on the air. But uh, what's funny, too, is you know when, when I worked there, I mean, I saw his uh, his parking spot. I saw his ridiculously expensive car <laughs> was yeah. parked in the park. It was like some white Mercedes that I've never seen and never seen since. Um, and I walked by the studio. I never saw him in and the whole time I worked there. I never saw him in the studio, but I saw his car all the time. So he must've been hi hiding in like a, like a closet behind everything <laughs> just to be away from everybody. But just fascinating the amount of music this man created. And especially in this era where it starts to take off because I mean, throw this out there too. And I don't even know if you know this, but the only other way you were getting music, if you didn't have Piledriver, if you didn't have the wrestling album and you didn't pick this up, was if you joined the WWF fan club between about 1989 to about the mid-90s, I think 96-ish, you got a white cassette hmm. that had about 30-second snippets <laughs> of the theme song. So you would see his name would be on the cassette. His name is, you know, right there, yeah. all music you know, produced by Jim Johnson. That's the only way you're getting WWF theme music until about the AOL days where people were file sharing and you're in chat rooms asking for links and, you know, God knows what you were getting half the time. You're getting, you know, hacked and bugged and whatever. Yeah, I, I may or may not have been uh, 
overseas guy two two one seven. I mean, so. <laughs> you're getting into those chat rooms and getting into yourself into trouble by the end of it. But uh, yeah, that was the only way you were getting wrestling music because the, what Vince did amazingly was put it all in house, and that yeah. to me what could have been the smartest move ever because. You, I mean, ECW would knock it out of the park because, quite frankly, they just didn't get caught. But, you know, it was great to have your own people in-house, and Jim Johnson became an icon. But again, odd, not on this album. No, not at all. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, with all the tracks that are on there, like I said, you know, I hadn't heard it in, in since 93. And, and going back and listening to it, um, some of them really, you know, it was some nice throwback to hear some of the voices that I hadn't heard in so long. And British Bulldog was one of the ones I uh, meant uh, as soon as I heard Slam Jam and, you know, and heard his little snippet in there. I was like, man, what a, you know, I just remember that guy and, and, and what an impact he had on a young Randy Helms watching, you know, wrestling. And, and he was such a, just a, a major player. I mean, especially since, you know, wasn't, wasn't he the one that they uh, designed the European championship for? Wasn't oh, it him? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it was be a vehicle for the Bulldog. They were really big overseas, so it was a natural selection. You know, obviously it's documented. You know, he didn't get the world title. There were some mm -hmm. reasons why. Uh, but that European title, I mean, he's one of the first people that you think about when you think about when they created that belt. But you got to also figure if this is produced technically in the UK, you know, and you have UK executives putting this together and the Bulldogs still there when they're putting it together, you got to think they probably thought the British Bulldog was going to be a big part of yeah. promotion and a part of the album, <laughs> but he's gone by November 92. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And, uh, and like you said, they had to go back and edit things out. And I mean, and back then I, I would be willing to bet that the editing took a lot longer than yes. what it takes nowadays. You know, I mean, they could edit something so fast, airbrush somebody into a photo. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, I can only imagine how it was back then when they had to do it. Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you one of the songs that on there, I totally forgot about. And when I heard it, I mean, I just I had to smile and, and it's not one of the best songs on there, but it's just it's the nasty boy stomp with, uh, you know, <laughs> because the funny thing is, you know, listening to it now and reading and, and looking at the lyrics and hearing the lyrics, I can see where that actually could really sort of be maybe somewhat of one of Vince's famous ribs. I don't know if he had anything to do with any of the writing. I'm at maybe not. But I mean, you got lyrics that go. It's just you and us, and you're going to Nastyville, and it's one trip you're not coming back from. <laughs> what? I mean, you know, <laughs> where's Nastyville? You know, so <laughs> it's right outside Allentown, PA, right where the, I, uh, the Nasty Boys are from. I thought it might have been. I thought it might have been Amsterdam, man, the Wallenstraat, which is also known as a certain type of district. But I mean, I was just like, I re but it was cool when hearing it because I was like, you know, those guys. I remember those guys, especially in '93, and and you know, they were they were a big tag team, you know, and and they were not only a tag team, in my opinion, that. Uh, that was good if they held a tile, but they also a good tag team to help other tag teams Correct. progress. And, Correct. and they knew that and they understood their role at certain points in times. And, but I love that song because they got samples of Janet Jackson in there with nasty, which was like, Oh yeah. Hey, early, early sampling. You know? callback, <laughs> yeah. That's a callback to where people were probably thinking exactly where the song came from. Now you made a great point about the Nasty Boys. And again, I just made a, a point on another podcast about that exact same thing. The Nasty Boys didn't matter if they were champions. It didn't matter if they were uh, chasing or whatever. They were just two guys that beat the crap out of other guys. And that was it. That's what they were known for. But the question I have for you is Nastyville on the corner of Bad Street. Ooh, well, it's not it's not at the end. It might be on the corner because, you know, because the Freebirds lived in the baddest street on the block, you know, so I mean, you know, it's funny, Michael, uh, I love Michael Hayes and uh, I, I have, uh, I'll tell you something, man, I'll give you a little insight here real quick. Like Michael Hayes is one of the only few people that I've ever, ever had a tear come down my eye when I watched the Hall of, Main, Hall of Fame ceremony. I actually got to go to Dallas, Texas during that ceremony when the Freebirds came in and when Michael, when that music hit and Michael came out. I mean, I had a few tears come down my eyes because I was like, man, this is 1980. I'm back in Georgia, you know, and, and, and the Freebirds are coming to town. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's just so many different things on here. And I'll tell you, uh, Chad, one of the things I thought that was kind of funny is like, you got Bret Hart that's got a song on there, you yes. know, 
never been a right time to say goodbye. But then you have Macho Man who's doing one called Speaking from the Heart, which I would have thought actually Brett would have done a song that would have been called Speaking from the Heart. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought you know? I'd feel like that. <laughs> and Macho, I mean, had just divorced Liz in 92. So that whole Bret Hart song is talking about actually, you know, and it actually rhymes. It's one of the only songs on there that actually rhymes. Um, Which one? Brett's? Yeah, Brett's actually rhymes. Brett's Brett's pretty good. (laughs) So I'm thinking that would have been better for Macho because they could have done a storyline with, well, is he talking about Liz? And it's not, you know, even though he's divorced to her, what's he talking about? So, but they, you know, they missed that mark. And so, you know, so we just have Macho speaking from the heart, I guess. Uh, which, to me, <laughs> you know, I would absolutely say out of the, the technical 12 tracks, the uh, the Crush track did not make it onto the American version. But no. the 12 tracks that were produced, I got to give the nod to the Macho Man's uh, speaking from the heart as the best track because it's the Macho Man. It's legit him. It's all his little catchphrases. It's him, and, and I was. It's funny. I, I did a semi review of this with Francine on Eyes Up Here, and it was about six months ago because she won a contest when she was a fan that was based off of this album's release. Really? She won, yeah, she won tickets to Monday Night Raw, and we watched a couple clips, and one of them was the Speaking from the Heart. And when he pounds on, he says, I, "You know, I am your friend. I am the Macho Man." You know, you go back to being twelve, you're like, man. Yeah. He's my friend. That's if I see him on the street and I'm in trouble, he's gonna help me because he's the macho man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, macho is just, I mean, his whole and his whole persona. I mean, even before he ever even got there, I mean, he already was, you know, making waves, you know. And that guy just hearing that song and hearing the ooh, yeah, yeah, ooh, ah, yeah. oh, the catchphrase, I mean, everything. I mean, so, I found myself soaring with the that. eagle, slithering yeah. with the snakes. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I mean, I, I just found myself doing the whole shtick again. You know, doing his voice, doing his mannerisms, and I hadn't done it for years. And I'll tell you, the funniest thing is, uh, and you've heard me do the Macho Man voice before, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm great at it, but I mean, I, you know who I'm doing when I'm doing it. Yeah. I had Lanny Poffel in the car with me in da- Dallas, Texas, and Bill After, Uncle Willie, tells him that I can imitate the Macho Man, and so, so Lanny's like, "Whoa, I'd really like to hear that. Oh, uh, it'd be really cool to hear you do that." And I'm like, uh, "You sure?" Yes, it'd be great. Every everyone does the Macho Man, so go ahead, Randy, do the Macho Man. And so, I mean, I did it, and I'm thinking, here I am sitting with Macho's brother imitating Macho. And he's like, well, that's pretty good. I, I really like that. And I'm thinking, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tell a 12-year-old Randy that. <laughs> I'm about to have a second career as an impersonator now. I'm going out on the road. <laughs> you're, you're writing down your measurements. You're going to go get a tailored Macho Man jacket. Uh, yeah. I will kind of rap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going I'm to get right back to the rap, but Randy, and, and again, people who listen to other podcasts they do will realize this, is the only authorized Dusty Rhodes impersonator that I will recognize. <laughs> Anybody else who does it on a podcast, it's corny and cheap, but when Randy does it, it's actually funny and kind of authentic because he grew up watching him. That's why. <laughs> And I, I knew a little bit more about Dusty than just hard times, if you will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's look a few years down the road. Macho Man releases this rap album that's panned across the board. It's one of the the abominations uh, of a perfect career, um, and this is perfect perfect for him. And I don't mean to keep ragging on Mister Perfect here, but. You got to think, had the Macho Man just put out an album of 12 songs that were based around speaking from the heart, it would have been a completely different view of him than that rap album, which is just abysmal. And looking back, such a horrible career move. Have you ever have you ever heard anything by DJ Cumberbun? He's a he's a dude that does. I have not. (laughs) He does. He. He does mashups, and he he's he's really good at it. Every single mashup that he does has Macho Man somewhere in it doing one of his one of his catchphrases and at the very beginning it's always Gene Okerlund starting it off with DJ Cumberbund. And I had that guy on our podcast and asked him, you know, I gotta ask him, dude. I said, I'm a wrestling, you know, fan. What's up with Macho Man? He's like, it's Macho. 
Why wouldn't I want to put him on all my songs? He goes, I, I just, every song that I mash up a uh, rock song with another song, he goes, somewhere Macho is going to be on it. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool, man. And I asked him about Gene, and actually, I guess he's a, a family friend, so Gene did it okay. as a favor. Yeah, but, yeah, DJ Cumberbund, man, go check out some of his mashups, and you'll hear some great Macho stuff. All right, there you go, Mister uh, Cumberbund. Every time I put on a, uh, every time I, I rent a tux, I'll think of him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's funny, but uh, yeah. So just looking at a few of these other tracks, uh, we mentioned Hacksaw it's USA. That one to me, I actually do like this one because I love the voiceover that he does. Not you know the the chorus, the USA, the remix USA on the you know I'm thinking the scratch on the album, um, but I love his little monologue that he yeah. does. And it's it's very serious, and it's in the video that goes along with it hits it home, and they're talking about Yokozuna in the video, but like you kind of feel that monologue. It's very well done. You know the thing about it is, and this all goes back to to what we talked about at the very start with marketing and branding that that Vince is just so good at. Um, he takes a guy who carries a two by four, okay, overweight, you know. Um, but you put him out there in old school wrestling trunks and he starts saying USA and the crowd picks up on it and it becomes a career for the guy. And then you have all this stuff that, you know, 93, uh, the Gulf War had just ended, you know, a couple about a year and a half, I think, before something like that, uh, if I remember correctly, somewhere in 91. Um so we're still got the pride going on. But Vince has done that so many times with different characters. I mean, you know, obviously Slaughter. But, you know, then he had uh, Dale Wilkes in The Patriot. And then he, you know, so Vince picks up on this stuff that says Lex Luger, you know, uh, with the Yokozuna thing. I mean, here's a, here's a song where, like you said, it's a lot of USA, USA. And people are like, yeah, USA. It's <laughs> you know, amazing to me. I love in the monologue itself, and he's talking about getting himself pumped for a match and what it takes for him to be, you know, excited. And he's getting all, you know, you hear him getting amped. Yeah. Whoever he's talking to and whoever was recording it, you could hear as he's revving up, they go, uh oh, uh oh, yeah. because he then <laughs> gets into a USA. It yeah. is, it's so perfect. But the other contrary part of that is that Hacksaw is being phased out at this yeah. part at 93. And it's interesting that they kept him on here. Maybe that was a part of the name recognition because they have no Hulk Hogan on here. They have no Rowdy Roddy Piper. They have no Ultimate Warrior. You know, they had to go with Macho as the lead. And then technically, I mean, they might not feel that way to us now, but in 93, 92, Brett, Undertaker, these are the young guns. Yeah. Crush young gun. Yeah. You know, the boss man was only like in his early 30s in 92. Yeah. So they, they really going with kind of, it was like if they put out an album now, you know, and like the, the AJ Styles and Drew McIntyre are the other guy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's right. just Macho Man was the lead. Everybody else, and Mr. Perfect too, when he was still very young himself, they don't have that star power. So for Hacksaw to be on here, that was probably just a strategic move because. Well, if I was a fan four or five years ago, I still know who Hacksaw is. I yeah. Know two by four. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think a lot of this uh, could have been with some of the names that they were putting out there was, well, let's kind of see what songs actually, you know, we we hear, you know, and they probably did some polls. I would be willing to bet you as people were exiting out of uh, different matches at, at tapings and stuff, they may have asked them, you know, hey, listen to this, you know, uh, what song do you like the best or what you know, do you have this album or whatever to find out, you know, what songs. And of course, kids are going to gravitate to whoever they're like. So if it is, a you know, a Tatanka, which, you know, no offense, but that's the worst song on the whole album. But, <laughs> but you know, if they like Tatanka, that's the, you know, well, let's push Tatanka, you know? Yeah. So it was know. a young gun and getting pushed heavily on television. He was undefeated. Yeah. But the Tatanka song is basically his debut vignettes. I mean, it's, it's yeah. essentially the same verbiage put to what I would assume would not be published today. Uh, if it was to be put on an album, it would be heavily scrutinized, you know, basically war dance and, and very, you know, stereotypical quote unquote uh, Native American, mm -hmm. you know, uh, imagery slash uh, sounds. I don't think yeah. it would get made today, but the Tatanka one, it, it's just not good because you're kind of just like, eh. But I'll tell you, mm -hmm. I actually feel the worst song on the uh, the the album is the Undertaker, the Man in Black. Really? It is. It, it makes no sense <laughs> that you have this upbeat like rap song 
for The Undertaker, especially in 92, 93, when he was very slow and the dead man and really was that zombie-style character. I actually don't like The Undertaker track. Well, I'll tell you something about about that one. I love irony. I, I, I'm a huge fan of irony, and I love to find irony anywhere that I can, um, except for my blood. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was bad. All right, so anyways, uh, that song, all right, The Undertaker, The Man in Black, and, and as you know that uh, during one of the WrestleManias that Taker came back, I think yeah. it was WrestleMania 27. Mm-hmm. He used Johnny Cash's uh, yes. song, you know, no, no, uh, ain't no grave, you know, and that's Johnny Cash is the man in black. And so it's like, wow, such irony, you know, at a, in an early point. Undertaker career, you know, so. But like I said, you kind of recycling with Tatanka, they use the vignettes, the debut vignettes. Undertaker, they, it was more symbolism that, you know, no, uh, only Marty McFly and Doc Brown would have been able to, uh, kind of realize but (laughs) the big boss man mr perfect those two tracks are essentially again their theme musics (laughs) yeah that's all it is with a little bit of it's a new uh in the boss man's case it's a new lyric uh a new uh uh, vocal um with a boss man monologue and then with mr perfect essentially his his synthesizer music in the background and his promos, I'm exactly who I say I am. I'm Mr. Perfect. Nobody beats Mr. Perfect. Bottom line, the same stuff he closed out a promo with on Saturday morning talking in the event center. So uh, yep. maybe lazy. Maybe we could say a little lazy. But to me, I like them because it's authentic. But again, with the boss man, you had another one of those. I don't know if they knew they were writing this when they wrote this, but the lyrics are, he carries a big stick, a ball and chain too. If if you're, what's it? If, uh, if you're looking if, for trouble, trouble, yeah, he'll be coming after you. Um, <laughs> you'll see hard time. What? Well, that was that was his theme song. That yeah, was, I know that was but, the theme song, but it was updated. But here's, but they never used it though. So why no. put it on the CD if they weren't even going to use yeah. it in the arena? No, exactly. And to think about Boss Man, I mean, you know, at, at that time was '93. Refresh my memory. Was he a heel at that time, or no. had he already? Okay, baby. he was still a face. Okay, complete baby face. Yeah. So in '93, he's li- literally, I, I, he's 30 years old in 1993, okay. but he had been there since 1988. So he is an established baby face. Not, I would not put him in the class of the the hacksaw because he did have that run as a heel, but. Still beloved, but on its way out of the company. Uh, again, by the time this probably gets released in yeah. the states, he's gone, and he's got yeah. a track. It still amazes me that a guy who's a prison guard would get over the way he got over. I mean, both as a heel and as a babyface, just amazes me. That would never work today. And so, oh, I mean, wow. he'd be the biggest heel. And guess what? And with a Confederate flag on his yeah. uh, on his so, uniform. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, times have changed, and uh, and and for good reasons. And it, but you know, the thing about Ray Trailer, I mean, he was just. Uh, um, from every person I've ever talked to that knew him, just talks that it's a, he was he was so cool and such a nice guy. And, you know, I never got a chance to meet him, but uh, I, I I remember Boss Man, and I remember him at during this time. But you mentioned earlier, uh, it's really funny, Chad. You mentioned the the Crush song, and uh, which was only I think on the UK album. Yeah. Um, yeah. I found that funny because you know here he, all of a sudden this is Crush, and you mentioned the Freebirds earlier. You know when he was part of Demolition, they used the Freebird rule, and now he comes back. You know, um, and name. he's Kona <laughs> Crush. He's Hawaiian now. You know? So, I mean, but yeah, but that song I I had did not hear that song when it uh, when the album first came out, but I did hear it when uh, you sent me the link the other day. So that was new to me. Yeah, uh, to me too. I had heard it uh, whenever I first found this on YouTube years ago uh, when I saw the album was up, but I didn't commit it to memory. I still barely committed it to memory versus the other ones that are like ingrained in my brain for life because I listened <laughs> to the thing. But also, and, and I'll mention this now, that they have a Coliseum video tie-in where it's four music videos uh, built around angles. So huh. you, you get yourself uh, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, uh, believe uh, Duggan and oh, it's Macho Man. So it's uh, five. Did Tatanka get one? I, I'm gonna say five, but in between, you got 
angles. You got, oh, here's Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka. Here's their feud. Here's mm-hmm. uh, the feud between, you know, uh, whoever else. I can't think. Uh, Undertaker and Kamala, let's just say. I don't remember yeah. which one it was off the top about of my head. But, you know, that tie-in was great because it really sold what you could get on the album, but now puts it in the video context. And again, where I felt the Macho Man uh, track becomes the strongest because they put it so good to images of him in the community, him hitting the elbow, him with the belt, mm-hmm. and they close it out. They actually fade to black from on the video as his song is ending, and it's him with the belt. And he's just coming off being the WWF champion. So if you really think about when they put this album together – you got to think around SummerSlam 92, which is in the UK, Wembley. He's mm-hmm. the world champ, so he really is the marquee star of this album, but he's just an ensemble when you look at the album cover. It's just him and yeah. seven other guys. <laughs> yeah, and normally, you know, when they like when you look at the WrestleMania posters, they always put like the biggest name up front and, and a slight bit bigger than everybody else you know um but you know one thing we didn't mention when we first started talking about this was the title track uh the wrestlemania track itself and it's funny because you know it had all the promos over and it had everybody talking you know getting y'all pumped up you know for the album and and of course it got played on tv you know snippets of it and stuff the video but then of course that song would actually end up uh you know the instrumental version of it would be played from wrestlemania 10 yeah, all the way up to uh, I think fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you know, and then Linda McMahon would use it later as an entrance music. So obviously Vince loves that song, you know. That instrumental, you knew what it was. You knew it was yeah. WrestleMania season, and you know they used it for the DVD anthologies. It would play in the background. They used it on video games. I mean, they got it around, but. I kind of tend to agree with you. I actually go with the Slam Jam uh, little compilation of uh, superstars singing rather than the WrestleMania one. I don't know. The WrestleMania one is a little annoying versus the Slam Jam. Yeah, the Slam Jam was much better. Obviously, you know, it charted. So that, that you know, proves its point right there. Uh, But just the whole thing with WrestleMania, I mean, it's just, you know, you hear the word WrestleMania, you know it's the it's the marquee, it's the big one, it's everything. So the album itself, I mean, I was actually shocked that there was a little bit more into it besides WrestleMania, like I said, but that was pretty cool. And I just, uh, you know, in 93, they weren't pointing at a sign yet, were they? I don't think. Oh, no, many years. So, so they were pointing yeah. at a sign. If they had to point at a sign, I mean, I mean, I don't even know where it would be in the arena. They yeah. didn't do fancy schmancy. Yeah, that's right. It would be a block-lettered uh, video screen that they'd be pointing at. <laughs> It'd be a uh, the sign guy somewhere holding it up or something like that. Come on, this is 1993. It'd be a banner. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I always I always want my opportunity somewhere to point, you know, I I got a, a dude that lives up in Jersey, uh Vinny, and I'd love to like, you know, challenge him to a mat somewhere in a cage and point at the sign and go, I You know, know, whether Vinny wants to uh, admit it or not, I guarantee you that he owns a copy of the wrestling album. WrestleMania, the album somewhere, (laughs) because he's a mark at heart. Uh, But I will say this, though, uh, before we get our uh, final thoughts, uh, my cassette, if everybody was wondering, uh, because I thought I was being really funny and I put it in my first car and thought, ha ha, I'm going to put on WrestleMania, the album when we're driving around as a goof and blast it. Uh, melted inside the <laughs> compartment of my high school in New Jersey uh, many, many moons ago, probably about 20 years ago at this point. So uh, RIP, my WrestleMania cassette, original pressing the, of the cassette back in 93. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny, man. That That is that is good. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I wonder if they were to go back and uh, put this out there and resell this online. I wonder how many hits they'd actually get and how many people would actually download it. Um, I'm sure it's it. out there. Yeah. I'm sure that they've released it on iTunes. They I mean, I had, the, I had the CD again. I, somebody bought it for me for Christmas one year, and it has the generic album logo uh, that is on the Wikipedia that you know you could just pull up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original cover had all the guys lined up. I think some of them might have been holding you know guitars or cymbals or sticks or something, um, and that was what it was on the cassette as well. And uh, it's just not the same, you know, again, we're, we're old school guys. We're about the physical media, you know, like to hold yeah. that album or the cassette or the CD. 
And um, it's just not the same to me. And, uh, you know, one year at Record Store Day, probably three or four years ago, they released Piledriver, and I didn't know until afterwards. And I was so bummed because I never owned Piledriver. I owned the wrestling album. I had that on CD. I had this one on cassette. I had all the other CDs they released. But there was something about trying to get the Piledriver album on vinyl Right. And I was really bummed about it. And now you can't even touch it. It's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I am an old school guy too. I mean, I, uh, you know, I have converted and I, you know, I do, I have all my streamlining stuff, but there's still nothing, you know, I don't even have a CD player in the car. The last two cars I've owned haven't had CD players. And, and it just really kind of irks me at certain times because I do have a bunch of old CDs that I would just rather like to put in and listen to them and, and all the way through. And so I can imagine somebody who has this, you know, like you on tape or something like that. There's just nothing like it. You you know, uh, takes you back to a place that, you know, you smile and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know anything back then. And so wrestling was my life. And so, you know, so it's awesome. Well, I, I'll say this or I'll show you this because I know uh, you'll get a, a quick little kick out of it. So, you know, I, I like to buy the albums now. I'm a uh, I'm a vintage uh, kind of guy. I got this for my birthday. And I don't know if you can see the album here. What it is. Oh, I think I do. I think you, that's you uh, know some of your former bosses. Of, yeah, that's the evolution of uh, something. I can't remember what it was. That's the evolution of your old boss. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I recognize the crown because that crown actually was uh, there was a part of it was in the uh, office, and so which uh, I saw every single day, along with Flair's uh, NWA belt, which was so nice, you know, to see every day. So. Cool. The crown and the belt, they kind of go hand in hand. But yeah, yeah, we'll wrap it up here. But just to say briefly, Randy did work for WWE a few years after I was there, uh, around what, 2010? Uh, I started in 2012 and, 12, okay. and and worked there for about 16 months, I think it was, or something like that. I actually did work. Uh, that's pretty long, season, Randy. So, I'm not going to yeah. lie. That's pretty. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty. That's a pretty darn good yeah. run in that world. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was uh, straight out of the army. I'd done 20 years in the army, and uh, I got that gig, and uh, it was some long hours. But you know, there was a lot of a lot of cool things that got, you know, I got to go to a WrestleMania in New York, uh, you know, over at Jersey and, uh, uh, MetLife stadium. I got to go to WrestleMania. I went to a hall of fame. I got to sit in the dressing room where Bruno San Martino, I got to know Bruno become friends with him. Um, and so many other guys, I mean, you know, and I never marked out or anything like that. Um, cause I always look like, you know, they're people just like me. Um, right. they, you know, uh, but it was it was it was an interesting thing, especially coming out of, you know, the military. So because I was so rigid, you know, and now I'm going to a, a place where maybe the meeting starts on time. Maybe it doesn't, you know, so. <laughs> maybe you're there for four hours <laughs> before it actually gets started. <laughs> but, you know, I don't I don't have any hard, you know, when I got let go, it was all good. You know, uh, you know, it's all it's all good, man. I mean, I got to meet so many different people and still in touch with a few. I mean, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of broke away from it a little bit because I've been so busy with this podcast and radio show. But I mean, you know, I got to meet guys like you and uh, John, and uh, you know, and I got to become friends with uh, just so many other folks in in the in the business. And I can't, I just smile when I think about it. That's it. That's why I said they're war stories. You know, a lot of them. I mean, at the time, you know, I had my druthers, but I look back and I go, man, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. And it's it's just one of those things where you look back and, and yeah, you smile. But, you know, sometimes you remember the frustrations, but yeah, they just become a faded uh, yeah. memory over yeah. time. But all right, well, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, for this new generation declassified a great look at WrestleMania, the album. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it in years, go back and listen to it just for the nostalgia purposes. If you find the videos, you get a kick out of them. I mean, they're just what exactly what they are and what we talk about every single week on this show. It doesn't necessarily mean it, it's good. I'm not trying to tell you I know everything, but I'm telling you what I thought then and what I think now looking back. And I guess what? I'm going to say out of 10, I'm going to give WrestleMania the album. I'm going to throw it right in the middle. I'm going to give it a five because I love the Macho Man uh, track. I love uh, the, the Slam Jam. I love the Perfect. I love the Boss Man. And I couldn't go without talking to Randy Helms without putting over Bret Hart and saying how much I love the Bret Hart track because Shawn Michaels, <laughs> the boy toy, he doesn't have a track on this CD. And it's because he's posed in that girly magazine. <laughs> 
Let me but, just. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's just an inside joke with me and Randy. We yeah, would go back yeah. and forth. We, we, yeah, we did so many Bret Hart imitations driving up to Jersey for different things or or Richmond or wherever we were going. Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'll tell you, in 1993, I would give this actually about a seven and a half. Oh, okay. Uh, today, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a five. And the reason okay. I rated it higher back then is because it was kind of cutting edge on some of the stuff they were doing. Uh, that other people were not doing in 93. So I'll give them, give them credit for that, man. So. Yeah, absolutely. And man, if it wasn't for Tatanka on the CD, you give it just a flat eight in 1993. <laughs> somebody's got a little beef with the uh, Mr. Uh, Tatanka there. Jeez. Uh, well, somebody's got to pick a bad song. And, uh, you know, I've actually never met him, I don't think. So somewhere down the road, I'll probably run into him. So. Oh, I've heard stories about Tataka, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll just leave that as it is. But yeah, again, check it out. And if you like it, please uh, let us know. Uh, I'll actually I'll drop the link in the the, uh, the the Twitter post of this episode for the same playlist that I sent to Randy. If you want to take a listen to some of the songs, listen to the Crush one. Made it, let it get into your memory because I don't remember Jack Squat about it, and I listened to it three days ago, and I couldn't tell you the first thing about it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, I just want to thank you for letting me come on here, man. And if you don't mind, I of course I I would be so wrong if I didn't oh, plug my plug oh, my. Well, stuff. let me hang on. Let me do the fire. <laughs> so this is what I say. So I'll say, um, let me get into my you know my podcast frame of mind so I can finish the show correctly. Well, I Randy, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and I appreciate it. And catching up and running into you at Walmart was a uh, chance meeting. <laughs> uh, so, for the listeners of New Generation Declassified, please share with the audience where they can find anything and everything going on in the world of the Kabuki Babyface. Can't can't not call you that, <laughs> Mister Randy Holmes. Yeah. So, anyways, if you guys uh, if you enjoy anything that's eighties metal or even nineties or the current day or or classic rock from the 70s you want to come check us out on out you're on my hair the podcast and radio show you can find us anywhere where you download or streamline we're on every single platform out there just look about you on my hair and i guarantee you're going to find us we're also on twitter at out yomh on facebook and on instagram as well of course uh we always have great interviews if we can't get an interview we do some really cool topic-based discussions or games and we're always looking for folks to come on the podcast and play a game with us or be a judge so look us up man Thanks, Chad. I mean, you've put stuff up about the monkeys on Twitter. I voted on that. I have never uh, been asked to be on Jack Squat. I mean, what's well, going on? Well, you know what? Here? We will return that favor. I know we've had uh, the two the two brothers on one time, and and that was pretty good. Uh, we, I think you can one up them. So we'll have you on. Don't oh, worry. Did you? I wasn't even aware yeah. of that. I, yeah, I, we had I, them come on and talk Metallica. We did a oh, top, very top nice. fifteen Metallica, and so they were uh, they were yeah. close and all their stuff together. Of course, coming uh, up further and sooner. <laughs> always always a bridesmaid never a bride i never get to tell the stories <laughs> hey, i want to tell yeah but you'll be you'll be with me next year the other ones won't so there you go yeah there you go all right so uh for me if you want to follow me it's at chad emb on instagram and twitter if you want to head to my website it's ibexclusives.com uh find all the cool stuff i got going on over there but also go over to tmptempire.com check out all the podcasts under the tmpt umbrella including all the great Wonderful work we do on the Vince Russo brand, including the franchise Shane Douglas and the Triple Threat podcast every week. And, uh, oh, don't forget uh, the Queen of Extreme, Francine. Eyes up here on Patreon, patreon.com slash Francine podcast. Uh, that's enough out of me. I'm going to go listen to some uh, great WWF melodic tones before I wrap up my, uh, my evening. And uh, for my good old buddy, Randy Helms, this is the Chadster, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.